The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. The issue is sin. Not a popular item to talk about. We like to talk about faith and love and hope and courage. We like to talk about success, strategies for winning. We like to talk about all kinds of issues that end up helping us look good. But bottom line, there's a problem. And that problem is sin. It's a small word. But what are we going to do with it? And how does it function? How does it operate in our lives? Today, some of you, as you come to this radio broadcast, are very discouraged. It's a rainy Monday. You're discouraged. You're downhearted. You're wondering if life is worth living. On the other hand, some of you are very positive and upbeat. It's another great day. I'm on my way to win. All kinds of feelings and reactions, but I want to suggest to you that all of those are rooted in the pagan world with pride. Either not getting what I want, not having my expectations met, or being successful in manipulating the physical realm so that I get what I want. And in the midst of all of that, how do I deal with this question of sin? And some, like Dr. Jan Japolsky, he writes, there's no such thing as sin. This psychologist writes, there's no such thing as sin. We've got to forget about the concept. If you look at the headlines today, as I did, they were very depressing. Terror attacks in New York City. Police shooting. Every unclean thing happening. Syrians being killed. Islamists being brought into our nation being settled in our nation, even though they're highly suspect of terrorist leanings. Sharia law being the love of their heart, totally opposed to the Constitution. It looks like America is being torn apart. Finances crashing. What's at the root of it all? Again, I come back to sin is at the root of it. America was a good, righteous nation. 
the pulpits of America flashed with flaming swords of righteousness and justice, mercy. No longer. Now the focus is on how I can get ahead or the dry rituals of religion, sentimental God. The Christianity that America knows would never have captured the hearts of the Roman people as Rome was beginning to collapse. But the gospel message came into Rome turning the hearts of men away from pornography, turning men's hearts away from violence, turning men's hearts away from every unclean thing and saying, you have worth and you have value. You belong to the Lord God of heaven. Live a moral life. Stop. Consider your your good future with Jesus and consider your death with darkness. Our Christianity today would have no impact in the old Roman Empire. Because sin has to be confronted, it has to be dealt with. There is a reality that we are ignoring. And so for just a few minutes, I'd like to bring to you Pastor James, the just. Pastor James, the senior pastor of the New Testament church. He outlines how sin functions. Let me read it for you. This is James, the first chapter. The book of James. Verse 14. But each one is enticed to sin by one's own lust, being drawn out and being lured by bait. Then the lust, having assisted, produces sin. And the sin, having become completed, brings forth death. Always sin brings death. How does it happen? There is a desire in our heart for something that is ungodly, something that we want. It doesn't arise all by itself, but is usually brought to life by a bait offered by the devil or the devil's people. And so we see that lifestyle and we begin to say to ourselves, I must have that lifestyle. Or we see that wicked uncleanness, and we say, I can have that too. We're lured by bait. Your wife says something to you that displeases you, and you're lured by that bait, and you begin to be harsh. You begin to be judgmental. You become angry. You are lured by the bait. And then, as you eat that bait, the sin is only increased and it is fed. 
And then that sin brings forth death. Some of you today need to remove the bait from your heart and from your life. Some of you have the bait of a full cabinet of alcohol. It needs to be dumped down the drain. The bait needs to be removed from your house. Some of you have wicked videos. Some of you have unclean books, magazines. They need to be thrown out. They need to be cleansed from your house so that you don't perchance see them and have the hook set in your heart that will draw you out to sin. Remember the story of Joseph. He's in Potiphar's house as a slave. And Potiphar's wife, no doubt a very beautiful woman, a very seductive woman, she keeps pursuing Joseph to convince him to commit adultery with her. What is Joseph's response? How could I commit this great sin against God? And then what does he do? He runs from the bait. You can't fight sin. You have to recognize the bait that's being offered to you and run from it. Remove yourself from it. You have friends who are not Christians, and they invite you to go out to dinner one night. And so you go to dinner with them. And then as they're finishing up their dinner, they say, hey, let's go down to such and such a lounge. Let's dance a while. And you say, no, I don't want to do that. Come on, party pooper. Come and you can dance a bit. We can have something to drink. And you end up saying, hey, I'm already here. I might as well go with them. What they think of me matters. At some point, you have to throw the bait away. You have to stop following the bait. You may have to no longer be friends with those people. You may no longer be able to accept their invitation to just go out to dinner because you may end up not getting home until 5 o'clock in the morning. And you may be enticed to enter into all kinds of unclean behavior. After they've been at the lounge a while, they say, hey, let's go to the strip place. Step by step, into utter darkness and depravity. And you have to be wise enough to recognize the bait at the beginning of the enticement. Because once you begin to walk down that path following that bait, chances are you're not going to turn away from that sin. And then you're going to say, I couldn't help myself. You know, I have one simple rule. I had some dear friends who wanted to have at a get-together some ice cream. I made the mistake of purchasing ice cream so when they came to my house, they could have their pleasure with ice cream. Well, ice cream is a no-no for me. It's, It's just something I've had to turn aside from. 
I don't need the sugar. And I don't need to wear it. If I eat it, I wear it. I could eat a quart of ice cream every night. Do I? No. I finally took the last of the ice cream and put it in the sink and ran warm water on it till it was milded, dumped it down the drain, and threw the thing away. I can't have ice cream in my house because if I do, in a late night time, I may be tempted by that, and I choose to get rid of that which tempts me. I'm simply not going to go there. I don't trust myself. Now, you may say, Pastor, you're just being immature. You call it whatever you want. I've determined I'm going to follow Jesus, and I am not going to put temptation in my way. I am in every way possible going to remove any opportunity the devil has of making me sin. And part of that, for me, because I like sugar, and the Lord has told me, no more sugar. And so for me, it means removing sugar from my house and not allowing it in my doors. We have a meeting on Friday night where a group of people come and and often they'll bring food. If they bring cookies or they bring ice cream, I tell them, you either take it home with you or I'll just have to dump it out when you leave. I'm not going to tempt myself this way. I can't afford it. I have to identify the bait that is laid for me with very realistic eyes. Jesus said, through this wonderful man of God, in verse 21, having already taken off all moral uncleanness and residue of depravity, in humility you must receive the engrafted word. Now, the issue that I'm really dealing with is pride. Pride that says, I can be who I want to be. I can go where I want to go. I can do what I want to do. I can believe what I want to believe. I am God. Well, you may not say I am God, but that is, in fact, the hidden agenda that says, I'm in charge of my own life, and I can eat what I want to eat, and I can go where I want to go, and I can do what I want to do. I'm in charge of my life. If you live that way, you will constantly live in sin. You will live in moral uncleanness. You will have the residue of depravity all over you. You will walk in darkness. You will be closed to the gospel of Jesus, but you may be very, very religious. I listen to some people pray, and I listen to some people talk. 
and they're very quick with beautiful words. In fact, I remember standing in a church that I was renting with the senior pastor as he spoke at a funeral. I was astonished at his gracious words. I was just a young man, and I said to the Lord, Lord, could I pray like this man one day? Lord, I don't know how to put words together that touch people's heart this way. I was astonished by his absolute gracious words, his comforting words. His his words were very smooth, and they went down very well. And then I got to know the man. And I discovered that he was committing adultery against his wife with a member of the church. I found that out because as a renter of the church with a key, I sometimes went at unexpected times. And I found him in the midst of his sin in the church. I also discovered that he, on the side, used drugs. And I went back to the Lord and I said, Lord, don't let me ever pray like this man prayed. It's possible to be very quick and very articulate, very smooth, renowned, respected in religious circles. But there's no content to the word being spoken. It has no meaning. Because there is no character behind those words. I was friends at one time with a nationally known radio speaker. I, in fact, as a young pastor, was an assistant to their youth pastor in leading the youth in that church, even though I was not assigned to that church. And one day in his office, I turned to him and I said, Pastor, who are you? He said, what do you mean, Ray? I said, I see the way you interact with people and you are so smooth and you are so, you are so sophisticated. Would you tell me who you are underneath that smooth sophistication? I said, I never see you being afraid of anything or anybody. I don't know of any fault in your life. You appear to be the perfect pastor. But then I said, I know your wife. And I know she's very angry with you. And I know 
she's not very complimentary of you. So I see the public side, and then I hear from your wife the private side. She says that she wished you had never become a pastor. She said she wishes that you would be unmasked. I said, Pastor, I love you dearly, but who are you? Do you live a double life? His face turned beet red. And he said, I am who you see me as. Now, don't ever talk to me about this again. And at that point, there was a totally broken relationship between us. I didn't see this man for many years. But in the recent years, he became a very high-profile national figure. And we were both speaking at the same event, and there was no possibility of us not seeing one another. And so I went to him and greeted him. And I said to him, would it be possible for us to get together? I'd like to talk with you. I said I was young and brash when we last spoke, and I ask you, please forgive me. I didn't mean to hurt you. He said, oh, yes, call my secretary, and he gave me the number. So I called his secretary, and his secretary said to me, I'm sorry, Pastor. He does not want to talk with you. I want to tell you today that this issue of pride is huge. And I confess that I too have walked in almost total pridefulness before God feeling free to come and go as I wish, to do as I want, even though being a pastor, being in charge of my own life, grabbing the next big opportunity, seeing the possibility to become somebody. Finally becoming so empty and so desperate and so so cast away by God. that I finally said, if I can't find God, I'm going to die. My pride simply would not carry me. My success was not sufficient for me. I could no longer live an ungodly private life. I found myself many years ago being one person in private and another person in public. I, after all of what I had observed, came to a point in my life where my private and my public persona were totally different. 
I made certain that I never let the two sides meet. But out of the loneliness of the absence of God in my life, I began to cry out to God. And he sentenced me. He sentenced me to seven years, to six years of hard labor, separating me from the ministry. And in the seventh year, he set me free. For those seven years, I had no public ministry. I spent my time reading scripture and praying as everything was stripped from me. All my savings, all of my real estate, everything that I'd saved, everything was taken. Today, I have to humbly say to you, I don't have anything that I've earned. I don't deserve to come on this radio broadcast. This is strictly a gift of God. I don't deserve to be the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. It's it's a gift of God. If your heart has been touched by this radio broadcast, it's not because I'm educated and erudite. It's because the Holy Spirit came and moved in your heart. And he showed you Jesus. You see, now there's nothing in my heart that wants to be seen of men or approved of of men. I want Jesus. There is only one way to deal with sin. And that is to humble our hearts before God and give up our anger. Give up our pride. Give up our ambition. Give up our agenda. Cut the bait out of our life. Clean out our hearts. By the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the blood of Jesus, we have to let go of those baits that draw us into darkness. We have to release those relationships that draw us into wickedness. We have to make a covenant with our eyes to turn aside from that which is unclean. I was riding with my brother Don some years ago. He's two years older than I am. We were riding together in the car. I was divorced. My brother was married. My wife had left me and gone with another man. I was raising the two children. And he was driving and we were we were going down the street. And there was a beautiful woman walking down the street. And I watched my brother to see if he would turn and look at her. It was as though she did not even exist. 
there was nothing in his heart that was attracted to this beautiful woman. He loved his wife. I continued to watch as we drove, and never once did I see him turn his eyes with any kind of hunger in them toward other women. And I said to him, Don, I'm really curious. You're not even looking at other women. Why? He said to me, Ray, I don't have hungry eyes. I said, what do you mean, Don? He said, I have all the food at home I could possibly hope for. I said, you're a very wise man, Don. And I love and respect you for that answer. Almost any man would turn and stare whether he was married or not, because men are just wired that way. But my brother Don said, I don't have hungry eyes. And guys, if you're listening today, or gals, I have to ask you today, do you have hungry eyes? Or do you have at home enough food to satisfy your heart? Are you happy with your wife? Are you satisfied with your husband? If you don't have a husband or a wife, are you satisfied with Jesus? Is he enough for you? Or do you have hungry eyes? As the devil slides his bait under your nose, is there a hook that gets planted in you? Or have you humbled your heart before God? And are you satisfied with what God has given you? Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong if you're single to desire to be married. There's nothing wrong with praying and asking God for a husband or for a wife because I believe God intends for us to have helpmates, to walk together in love and joy and peace on this journey. I believe that a, a godly woman is a a godly woman or wife is a gift of Jesus to a man, or a godly husband is a gift to a woman from God to help each other on the journey to heaven. But hungry eyes have no place in the heart or the life of a Christian. And frankly, some men and some women will dress in such a manner as to be bait even in the church. You'll see women come to church with cleavage showing, wearing their, their weapons of war to seduce a man. And you'll see men dressed in such a manner to excite the passions of a woman. This is part of what our culture is. Satisfy every desire that rises in your heart. The desire for money, for prestige, for power, 
for sexual fulfillment. The bait is laid by the devil, and the only answer is to humble our hearts before Jesus and cast the bait out of our hearts by the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Allowing the Holy Spirit to do that work of cleansing in our soul that we will not be prideful, thinking we can do what we want to do and go where we want to go. I know people who think they can satisfy every desire of their heart and still call themselves Christians. Dogs return to their own vomit. Pigs return to their own pig pen. The problem is many of those people who return to the pig pen or return to their vomit still call themselves Christians in America and they defame the name of Jesus. They cast the name of Jesus down and cause it to be shamed in the sight of everyone who knows them. What utter wickedness before God to call yourself a Christian and have hungry eyes. How do we even begin to get a hold of this? Pastor James says, In humility you must receive the engrafted word, the one being able to save you to save your soul. And then over in James, the fourth chapter, let me begin with verse 7. Therefore, you must be subject to God and must resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You must draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. If you want God to draw near to you, You must resist the devil's bait. You must walk in righteousness before God if you want him to be close to you. How many times I've had God turn and walk away from me because of my pride, because of my willful ambition to be successful, to be something, to be somebody, as though that were my God. And the Lord God of heaven just turns and walks away until I feel the emptiness of my soul. And I come running back and humble my heart before him. He says, you must draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You must cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's saying this to his church. When was the last time you heard a pastor say this to you in your church? When was the last time he pointed to the congregation and said, You are a congregation of double-minded people. You must purify your hearts. You must cleanse your hands. Or you cannot draw near to God. You must lament and mourn and weep. Reminds me of this passage 
over here in Matthew. Let me turn to it quickly. You're very familiar with it, but let me read it to you. Chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are the ones mourning, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the ones, in other words, who will begin to weep over their pride and over their sin, over their hungry eyes, who will humble their hearts before God, for they will be comforted. And notice what happens as a person who has been mourning before God over their great sin, their uncleanness. Verse 5, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. You cannot be humble before God if there has been no mourning before God, if there's been no weeping before God, if you have not been cleaning out the bait of the devil from your life, if you have not humbled your heart before God. There's no hope for you. God hates pride. It says you must draw near to God. He will draw near to you. He comforts you by drawing near to you. Can I ask you a question today? Do you love Jesus? No, I mean, do you really love Jesus? Do you love Jesus more than your sin? Do you love Jesus more than that alcohol? Do you love Jesus more than that wicked man that's enticing you? Do you love Jesus more than that wicked woman who entices your heart? Do you love Jesus more than that refrigerator with all of those delicious things you so desire? Do you love Jesus more than success? Do you love Jesus more than money? Do you love Jesus more than your depression and your discouragement? Do you love Jesus? Sunday, I had one of our brothers lead the congregation in singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. (laughs) We had a great time singing it. I wish you could have been there. It's the great love that Jesus has for us that has caused us to have the strength to throw the bait of the devil out of our hearts and out of our lives. It's this incredible love Jesus has for us that ignites such passionate love in our own hearts. You must draw near to God. He will draw near to you. 
Do you sense today the nearness of God? Or have you been walking in such a manner before him that he has departed from you? I'm going to give you our phone number, and if someone is brave enough to call and say, God has departed from me, and I want him to come back, if I can pray with you today, I will. Our phone number in studio is 877-534-0780. Or is God very near to you today, and you would like to explode with joy over the nearness of God to your heart? Then call 877 534 I'd love to hear from you. 877-534-0780. Grab your courage. Is God far away from you today and you need him to come close? Or is God very near? I can tell you this. God is very near to my heart this morning. I had a wonderful morning of prayer and scripture I had a wonderful morning of fellowship with Jesus. I felt so weak and inadequate this morning. I didn't know. I cried out to God and said, Oh God, I don't know how I can do this broadcast. And then this precious sister sent me this passage of Scripture, Isaiah 41.10. Let me read it for you. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. (laughs) Changed my whole morning. (laughs) I began to praise him. I have such heaviness of heart for this city. I know this message of righteousness must go out over this nation, but I know for that to happen, great resources have to come. I know that only God can bring them. This last cry of revival that was promised in Matthew 24, where the promise is there will be one last great cry, before the end of time. I'm praying for that last great outcry for righteousness in America. America must be confronted with its sin and its far distance from the Lord God of heaven. We've turned to every wicked thing in this nation and there must be a confrontation and an invitation to turn back to righteousness to turn back and allow God to come close to us once more. So I was weeping before God and mourning for America and felt so broken. And then this sister texted me this passage of Scripture and it raised my spirits. I said, yes, Lord, I'll go on their air and I'll speak about this issue. 
and I'll speak about you, Jesus. For I love Jesus more than life itself. I love Jesus more than anything or anyone. He is so magnificent to my heart. I so want to be with him. I want more and more of his fullness in my life and my heart. My heart overflows for Jesus. It says, you must lament, you must mourn, you must weep. Let your laughter be changed to mourning and joy to heaviness. You must be humbled before the Lord and he will exalt you. I'm asking Jesus, will you exalt the kingdom of God? Will you exalt the work of the kingdom? And then this passage of Scripture, 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. I'll begin with verse 5b. God sets himself against the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, we know that grace is not a covering. Grace is, according to Titus, the divine influence for righteousness. When we humble our hearts before God, he begins to pour out upon us that wonderful divine influence that causes us to be free to walk in righteousness before him. He says, consequently, you must be humbled under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the right time, having cast all your worry upon him because he cares for you. And I have to ask you this final question. Do you love your worries more than you love Jesus? Do you love your worries more than you love Jesus? It says, cast all your worry upon him because he cares for you. You must be sober. You must be alert. Your accuser, the devil, is walking around as a roaring lion seeking someone he may devour. I want to say this to you, please. The devil is not passive. The devil is coming after you with every power he has to destroy your joy and your happiness, to steal from you, to cause you to sin against God, to cause you to be filled with worry, to cause your heart to be filled with ambition and pride, to fill your heart with bitterness and anger. The devil is coming, roaring like a lion, seeking to devour you. You must set yourself against him. That is, you must not be passive about this issue of sin. You must be actively engaged with a guard on your mind and your mouth, a guard on your heart. 
that you will not take the bait of the devil. Even though everything in your heart says, I want this. Throw that bait out with the trash. Throw that tempting person away. If you don't, you will enter into such sin and darkness that God will not be near you and you will end up cast into hell. Now, not many people will tell you that, but I am compelled to warn you The final words, verse 9, you must set yourself against him steadfast in the faith, that is, in the rhema word that God has spoken to you. I said to one person, how can you do what you're saying you're going to do when God spoke back here and told you to do something very different? How can you not obey the rhema word of God and go with what you feel? What you feel is the devil fooling you, destroying your life. Some people simply make over and over and over the same wicked mistakes. It's as though they race around the mulberry bush wearing a path of utter destruction once, twice, three times, four times, choosing that which is of darkness and of evil until finally they are given over to their wickedness and they're lost in the darkness. Don't be like that. Set yourself against the devil. Set yourself against him steadfast in the faith and in the rhema word that God has spoken to you knowing the same sufferings are being endured by your brotherhood in the world. It is endurance to stand against the devil. He will try to seduce us in every way possible. Don't be seduced by your feelings or by your wants, by your foolishness. Now the God of all grace, the one having called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after having suffered a little while, he himself will restore you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the glory and the power into the ages of the age. Amen. Lord, I pray today that you will cause your people who have listened to this broadcast to set themselves against the devil and his tricks. I pray that you will bring humility into every heart. And I pray you will deliver them for your name's sake, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel.
we're moving well into this month and we need you to stand with us. And as the Holy Spirit prompts you, would you give what the Holy Spirit asks you to give cheerfully for this straight word that comes on Pilgrim's Progress? It's not listener-supported radio. It's Jesus-sponsored radio. And as he moves in your heart to give, please give. Send your gift to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, it's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And I also welcome you to go to our webpage. There are some brand new features there. Go take a look at it. See what you think. It's nationalprayerchapel.com. Nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you in Jesus. I'll talk to you soon. To keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.